Hi, and welcome to another episode of Now You're Talking with D, which today is renamed Now We're Talking About DD. If you've already listened to a previous episode, you can skip ahead about 20 seconds. But if you're new to the podcast, let me tell you a little bit more about it. I'm D, and this podcast is about dynamic, authentic voices from across the world talking about subjects from the silly to the serious. This month's episode veers on the less serious side. It's all about Duran Duran, the band, the hits, the legends. My guest is a music writer living in Oakland, California, who has authored two books about rock and roll history and who, like me, is a huge Duran Duran fan. He recently interviewed John Taylor, Duran Duran's bassist, for the second time, something he never ever imagined he'd even get to do once in his lifetime. So why this topic? If you don't know me, and I don't know how many of you are strangers, you won't know that I have been a diehard Durani since I was 11 years old, so it's only natural that I would dedicate an episode to the band. My sisters and I discovered DD on MTV via the Planet Earth video. We loved their sound, but we thought they were cute too, as did thousands of other girls around the world. Each of us had our favorite member. Mine was drummer Roger Taylor, who was the James Dean of the band, and luckily we didn't fight over the same member. Now, the same thing couldn't be said about the rest of our teen years, but that's another story. We bought every album, single, and night version, watched and analyzed every video until the tapes bled, and plastered multiple posters on our bedroom walls. This last thing horrified my mother, who begged us, begged us to tear them down. But we didn't do that. It's funny because she loved Boy George and had a soft spot for David Bowie. But I digress. We were your typical crazed teen fans, cheering them on with every new song and video, and then weeping into our pillows when our favorite member got engaged to or married his girlfriend, which they all did in the 1980s. While my sisters have moved on, I've remained a loyal fan all these years, buying every album and seeing them on tour about 50 times at this point. Yes, you heard that right, 50 times. I finally got to be front row center in 2005 at the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City, which was a dream come true for me. Now, while some music snobs may scoff, Durandran are seriously good musicians and don't get the accolades and respect they deserve. They write their own music, they play their own instruments, Simon LeBond's lyrics are pure poetry at times, and their rhythm section is pretty spectacular. All of this you can't really appreciate unless you go to one of their energetic live shows. So I would suggest getting a ticket next time they're on tour. Trust me, you won't regret it. I'm truly grateful for this band coming into my life as not only has their music brought me so much joy over the years, but it has introduced me to people from all over the world who have become such an important part of my life and who I love dearly. Shout out to Sasa Sasa, April, Martin, Nancy, Jeno, and my bestie, Linda. Special shout out to the late, badly overdrawn boy who I met through the fan board, but who hated Duran Duran. Our love of the Beatles and Britpop far outweighed our heated arguments about the merits of Duran Duran. This episode is dedicated to you, David. Today, my guest and I rank Duran Duran's albums from favorite to least favorite and discuss how we became fans as teens, the band's diverse discography and videos, why we think the band deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the always, always hotly debated topic, Andy or Warren. Now, before we get started, please subscribe to, review, and like my podcast on Google, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, etc., 
wherever you find your podcast. And thanks again for listening. Now on to the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Now You're Talking with Dee. With me today is Crispin Cott, who is a music journalist uh, living in Oakland, California, formerly living in Brooklyn, formerly from Sogarty's, New York. Say hi, Crispin. Hello. Cool, cool. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. I know it's uh, it's not that early there, but um, noon on a day when you don't have to work is, is a nice <laughs> time to get up, I guess, so to speak. Uh, so um, yeah, the first question for me is, I mean, being a music journalist, what do you have in your turntable right now? Because I know you like to... Um, you have what uh, vinyl sessions with Magoo with your daughter Marguerite that you yes. post all the time on social media. So what's on the turntable today? I mean, my my favorite uh, albums of recent uh, vintage are the albums by Salt from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Black is, and uh, and and like oh well, really all four of their albums. Um, and uh, the new Arlo Parks is really great. She's fantastic. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of stuff like that lately. So it's all vinyl that you're buying still. You're not like uh, yeah, doing Spotify. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I no, that's I do. I am on Spotify because um, I can't take my records out of the house. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I could, I could, but it would be. <laughs> You'd be walking uh, down the streets of Oakland with these records in your hand, going like boomboxing. I don't know. That um, does seem like a sort of meta hipster move, but I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm the guy. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty white, but you're not that white, I guess. Um, Cool, cool. And um, yeah, for the listeners, if you know, you've obviously listened to the intro today, we're all the, the only subject, pretty much the only subject we're going to be talking about is Duran Duran and um, the band, the myth, the music, the legends, uh, so to speak, everything about them from their discography to their side projects, to their concerts, to why they should be in the damn goddamn hall of fame already uh we're gonna make a case for it and you know the caveat here is i'm a huge fan um a lot of my friends know that some people out there might not know that um and crispin also is a huge fan and we actually met through the fandom so um this is coming full circle when before you were a music journalist um we met and uh and now you're a music journalist and you've interviewed them and yeah and you're you're writing these books so First question for you. Yes. The Duran Duran had their a heyday in the eighties, right? What has kept you a fan all these years? Uh, well, the, I mean, the fact that they keep moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking back at their eighties stuff, a lot of it is really timeless because they didn't, um, there were no gated drum sounds in the production and it just sounds, uh, like it could come from many different eras. Uh, and this just the songs were great. Um, but what I especially like about them is that they keep recording new music and keep trying new things. And they're un- kind of unafraid to, to, uh, take on a new challenge. And generally speaking, I've been thrilled with the results of it. So you're not one of those fans that wants a Rio 2.0 or now 3.0 because they've gotten the Rio <laughs> 2.0. So it'd be 3.0. Uh, you're not one of those. It's like, please keep churning out new romantic sounds that remind us of our childhood. Definitely not. I, mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I mean, I love all that stuff and that's still there, uh, but I don't want them to be a nostalgia act. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people out there who don't realize that they've been creating music all these years, they feel like a nostalgia act. They're like, oh, 
they're playing. I want to go see them and hear hungry, like the wolf. And you're like, but they have so much more than that. And so much good yeah. stuff. Um, some stuff that we, you know, some people don't like as much, but uh, consistently really good stuff. So speaking of the fandom, you've been a fan for a long time. What are some of the craziest things you've seen or experienced with fans? Uh, I know some of these stories already, but uh, I mean, you can, you can, you can be nice about it or you could be as honest. I will, as I will only be nice. I, you know, I think yeah. that uh, there's a great documentary uh, by M Douglas Silverstein mm-hmm. um, that kind of explores a lot of the fandom that I think is really interesting that you see, uh, I think I didn't one of the fans keep a piece of a hot dog in her freezer because she was such yeah. a huge fan. So that, that's not like me. Like the cigarette butts, um, you know? The cigarette, was it? Yeah. yeah. That it's, cigarette butts, um, I love you so much, you keep your cigarette butts. I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> no, but I think it was a hot dog. <laughs> it, was a hot dog. it was a frozen, a hot dog that was in the freezer and yeah. somehow may still have been a hot dog. There's a lot of preservatives in those, I guess. But uh, yeah, you know, just like, uh, experiences with fans at, um, different concerts, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, there were, there have been Durani gatherings, uh, of course, that we've been to that, um, you see, uh, there are people out there, fans of every artist who mm-hmm. really, uh, stick by that artist and, and tend to, um, be very, uh, stuck in a certain era, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. reminds them of their own childhood or their own teen years when uh, anything felt possible. Uh, and sometimes that gets a little wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As we've known, as we've known, but good yeah. wild, I think good wild. Yeah. I think overall the memories I have of, of being a fan for so many years and then being alone as a fan because nobody I knew liked them. Cause they were like, mm-hmm. what you're crazy. <laughs> um, and then finding this community, you know, when the, when the astronaut album came out in what, 2004, 2005 and finding all these other people who are just as passionate, just as into them for all these years for their music and not so much for their looks anymore, which, you know, we were, we women were really into them because they were cute at first. Um, Yeah. It just like opened your whole world and you're like, somebody lives down the street who's as interested in them. Where have you been my whole life? Like, (laughs) Yeah. So it was, I think it was a wonderful time to meet all these great people. And that's when, that's when we met. Um, and yeah. And, and finding other people who were really, really interested in music and the discography and, and, um, you know, less about like, Oh, you know, I want to marry John Taylor, uh, which is, I think every man, every woman's dream, um, to marry John Taylor. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I mean, he's, he's quite fantastic, but, uh, to be really, really into the music and the concerts and, and, you know, just buying the records as soon as they come out. And when you meet them, talking to them about the music, I think that's great. So yeah, I've seen, I've seen some crazy things too, but um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's, it's any, any band that has that longevity, uh, especially when the the fans were crazy in the beginning about them, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. always going to be crazy. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen people stalking, stalking the band, um, sure. which is, that's the part that I get really, uh, really, you know, kind of upset about. It's like, you know, leave them alone. They're not, they're Absolutely. not at an after party. Like they're trying to have dinner or they're, they're trying to go to their hotel room and you're trying to find it out. You're not 13 anymore, but I understand. <laughs> I understand people feel like that. So uh, going back to the eighties, when did yep. you discover them? How did you find out about them? And yeah. Well, I must have uh, heard them on the radio and seen them on MTV, but it was really their appearance on Saturday Night Live. 
mm-hmm. uh, in, 19, in 1983 that got me because they were playing actually live. They sounded terrific. I remember, you know, I was 13. I remember Nick's super duper orange hair. Yeah. That really stands out in my memory. And that was like when I became a real fan and start, you know, I went and picked up a copy of Rio. Uh, I think that they had re-released the first album by then Mm -hmm. to include, is there something I should know? Um, And then the following year, I saw them for the first time. So it really was that, that Saturday Night Live appearance was sort of my Beatles on Ed Sullivan moment. Yeah. 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 Um, So it wasn't a song or an album. It was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan moment of Saturday Night Live that got you. Yeah. I mean, they played two songs. They played Girls on Film and Hungry Mm -hmm. Like the Wolf. Right. And uh, they were, I, you know, I, I knew Hungry Like the Wolf. I, I don't think I had heard Girls on Film to that point yet, mm-hmm. um, but they, they completely hooked me, you know, so it wasn't, but yeah, it really was kind of like the whole thing. They looked fantastic. They looked, mm-hmm. you know, they, they looked like they came from Mars almost. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, but not like in a weird way, like in kind of like a sleek, very cool way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all great looking, um, you know, and I was a dorky kid who thought maybe if I, you know, tease up my hair a little bit. I'll be great looking too. Didn't work uh, out that way. Yeah. However, uh, you know, it was the whole thing. It was the music and the visuals and what sort of what they projected and, and a very um, sort of a sleek confidence that I that appealed to me. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of combining the looks with the talent. Most mm-hmm. people nowadays just remember them for the looks and not so much the talent, but we diehard fans know them for their talent um, and, and how good they are live. So about the videos, you know, their videos were the first that were mini movies that told some sort mm-hmm. of story or that followed some sort of script or, you know, had these beautiful images of exotic locales, you know, Sri Lanka, Antigua, um, you know, um, some of these other places that they did, they always had models in their videos, you know, they were chasing the mm-hmm. models, the models were chasing them. Sometimes <laughs> the models were trolling them as it's the cases in the Rio video. So, um, was there a video that really resonated with you? Do you have a favorite amongst all the videos from, you know, the beginning to now? Is there one that has, was your favorite and there's one now that's become more your favorite? I think, I mean, of that era, certainly I think Rio is, is Hungry Like the Wolf is, is I think the one that uh, I remember the most because mm-hmm. it was sort of like almost um, like Raiders of the Lost Yeah, Army. yeah. Uh, and Save a Prayer was gorgeous. But Rio is really the one because it showed their sense of humor. And as you said, they were getting trolled by somebody (laughs) like, you know, like knocking them off of piers. And, you know, Roger had a crab on his. Yes. yes. Like all that stuff. It was it was very funny. And at the same time, everything looked great. You know, it was it was it was a great combination. Plus, that song is just so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing that video when I was what 13 or 12 or 13 and being a Roger fan. Being a Roger fan, I was very upset that he had the crab on his foot. She pushed him down. I was like, that's so mean. That's terrible. Now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my God, she's trolling all of them. I didn't get it. I thought, you know, like she was just being playful, but she's actually just like, you know, taunting them, like come come towards me and then pulling the rug from under them, doing the whole uh, Acme coyote you know, Coyote Roadrunner thing of like, now you're off a cliff and bye-bye. That's what I equate it to. Uh, Yeah. um, My favorite video is Lonely in Your Nightmare uh, because I just, I love like the scenery of the girl's dress and the end, you know, Mm -hmm. billowing in the breeze and Simon walking up and it's just, it's a lovely, and it's a lovely song. Um, 
but I like all their videos for the most part, um, especially that era. So uh, you saw them in concert in 1984. That was the Seven mm-hmm. and the Ragged Tiger tour, which was the tour, the Beatlemania-esque, Duranmania-esque yeah. tour that um, just was, you couldn't even hear the music when you went to the concert because everybody was screaming. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, and I think every every critic at the time was writing that, saying, like, we can't even hear how they sound because the screaming teenage girls, it's just so shrill and whatever. And so, you know, they wrote them off. Um, so that was your first concert. What what was your feeling seeing them live after it was like a couple of years since you since you became a fan? Um, did you have good seats? Where where did I had, you I had great seats? In fact, yeah. it really was probably only a year later. Because uh, okay, it yeah, was, I think it was probably in early '83. Uh, live, and then it was it was March 20. I remember the date exactly, March 21st, oh. 1984. It was the second of two shows they did at Madison Square Garden. Mm, uh, they, <laughs> they, uh, it was broadcast on the radio. So a friend of mine and broadcast, you know, commercial free on the radio. So a friend mm-hmm. of mine at home recorded it for me, and I wore that tape out because uh, the quality is great. In fact, I, I preferred that to Arena the official live album because they kind of, they kind of tinkered with that a little bit, but getting back to the show, I, I I remember so much about it. I remember feeling, uh, I was 14 and I took the subway, uh, to the garden yourself with, with, well, with a friend of mine, but yeah, just the two of us. Uh, and, uh, and I think I wore leather pants (laughs) and white Capizio jazz shoes. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and and so I had great seats. I was like third row. Oh my God. Um, and uh, and it was a terrific show. Like I didn't I almost wish that I had seen them then from further back because the the, the stage was a production itself and they had mm-hmm. video screens, which was still fairly new um, to in concerts. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen the whole spectacle of it. But being that close was pretty incredible. And yeah, the, the, just the sheer volume of sound coming from behind mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. smashing into the music coming from the stage was uh, it was a real sensory overload experience. What was it? Were there a lot of girls crying around you? Did girls have to Probably. be like, taken away because they fainted? <laughs> like Probably, in the documentary, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they were fainting and, and taking them away because they were either too hot or they fainted from crying so much or they were crying yeah. so much. Yeah. So there was a, there was, there was, it was, it was mass hysteria. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was probably and, screaming my head off too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You don't remember screaming your head off though. No, I, I'm sure I did. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to say that I didn't. I definitely, <laughs> I, I, I must have. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. And you went with a, a, a guy friend. Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. Were you yeah. like the only, only boys in like the first three rows? No, uh, I can say this now. Uh, Ricky Schroeder, who has turned into a real creep of a yes, person yes. as an adult, he was uh, directly in front of us. Really? Wow. Yeah. 14 so year had, old Ricky Schroeder. He Schroeder. had really good seats. With he, a Duran Duran pin. He was a Duran In fact, I think they I think they showed up on Silver Spoons, not the band, but I think the the name showed up on an episode mm. of Silver Spoons around yeah. that time too, because he was a fan. Wow, I'm learning something new that I did not know. Wow, that's great. <laughs> that is Thank that is the much. that is the most inessential fact I can teach. You <laughs> yes, yes, Ricky Schroeder. As we yeah. we have found out recently, um, he's not a good person. Um no. so going back to the concerts, how many times have you seen them now? Do you know off the top of your head? It's, uh, it's close to 20. Close to 20. Um, yeah. Uh, I saw them again in 1987 at Madison Square Garden when they mm-hmm. toured for a uh, notorious album, the Strange Behavior Tour. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw them twice when they toured Big Thing, including one of the smaller shows, the one at Roseland in New York. Um, and I've seen them pretty much every tour I've had a chance to see them since then. Yeah, Just like one time each tour, not multiple times and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think, well, Big Thing, I, I saw them twice. I saw them twice on the Astronaut Tour um, once in, uh, at a... At, um, I can't remember the name of it in Rome, New York. It was upstate New York. And then the second time was at Jones beach. Mm, Uh, um, And then, um, yeah, I think I've seen them at least once or twice every, not, not twice too often. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite tour and what's your favorite show? Uh, I think my favorite tour uh, is probably, I don't even know. I think maybe the, the, the first, couple of tours uh the first one just the experience of seeing the five original guys at the time i didn't know that they were going to fracture so soon after that yeah yeah uh yeah. but then but then the next the next tour um you know i loved notorious as an album i thought it was great mm-hmm. and and as a band they kind of built up uh what they were doing they augmented uh, the stage experience and everything and i thought that was a great tour uh but my favorite concert i think has been uh seeing them at coachella in 2011, mm. because it was my first uh, Duran Duran show where the crowd wasn't all there to see Duran Duran necessarily. Right, right. So it was, you know, Coachella is, a, of course, a huge festival with a very diverse um, lineup. Uh, and this was a field full of tens of thousands of people and everybody was loving it. And that was kind <clears> of <throat> like, you know, that helped me kind of tap into what I love about Duran Duran. Uh, is the music and everything like that. And looking around and not seeing um, a lot of familiar faces yeah, yeah. was kind of, was kind of, it was, it was kind of beautiful. And, and that show uh, sort of got me back into a song that I had kind of uh, gotten a little tired of hearing. Uh, Ordinary world. world. Yes. Hear, <laughs> but hearing that, hearing that in, in that crowd with every, with the music dropping out and everybody singing along, it was, you know, it was like one of those moments that live music, uh, the power of live music mm-hmm. uh, was 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 full there, yeah. and uh, it was really beautiful. Like that, that's one of my favorite concert experiences by anybody. Is is that set at Coachella? Yeah, yeah. You were lucky that that you did that. I've never been to Coachella. I would say, yeah, the first the first tour was just monumental for me, even though I had you know nosebleed seats and couldn't see anything. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, we saw them. We actually, my sisters and I, and a couple of friends. We stalked them around Detroit. (laughs) You know, we had lied to my dad and and we had asked my dad to get tickets. And he's like, no, you're not going to go see those guys. And then we're like, whatever, we're going to get tickets anyway. We got tickets. And then my dad felt bad about saying no. He's like, okay, how much are the tickets? I'll buy them for you. We're like, oh, we already got them. And he's like, I told you no. (laughs) Um, So we went, we went downtown for the day. We skipped school or whatever. And we stalked them trying to find them. And we actually ended up, ended up, uh, outside of the venue back, you know, where the um, backstage, you know, where the cars would come in, all the other mm-hmm. girls were in the front waiting for them to like come in and they were getting there for their sound check and their cars drove up, their limos drove up. And we're just, I still remember this. I still remember like Simon and Roger rushing by and, and my sister's friend giving Nick a flower. And he was like, thank you. And he walked in and John Taylor and the girls going, there were only like 10 or 12 of us and girls screaming. And he just did the sheepish smile and touched <laughs> you know it touched their the backs of their jackets and I was like I'll never wash my hand again um of course I did but I still remember that that was like distinct, yeah. 
distinctive. And um, yeah, and that, that tour was great for me. And for me, the, the best shows I've seen were, um, I mean, I saw them in Paris with um, a friend from the board, which mm-hmm. was kind of different and cool. Um, but I really liked the Electra set and, and on Broadway. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really liked that tour a lot. It was very intimate and it was different and they played my favorite song. So I was kind of happy about that, but um, yeah. I had tickets to one of the Broadway shows. And then of course there was the strike. So my show right. was canceled, but I did get to see them do that set. Uh, I must've seen them a couple of times on the red carpet massacre tour because I mm-hmm. know I've, I know I saw that set at least once, possibly twice. Yeah. Uh, and it was, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Something different. Um, what would be the ultimate set list for you? If they could do like, what is it? 12, 13 songs. They usually do in a set list, right? Besides an encore. Um, what would be those songs? Have you thought about some of the songs that you'd like to see on a set list? If you could have an ultimate set list. Uh, <laughs> I mean, cert- certainly uh, it's hard, it's hard for them to play a show without playing a lot of the hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm okay with that because their hits are great. Uh, but, you know, but- if it was a private show, <laughs> caught, yeah, well, been caught and friends get a yep. private show, you could pay them a hundred grand to, to appear. I don't know. Um, what would be like the ultimate songs? I mean, maybe some B-sides like Late Bar and um, Canada, like some of those really early. Do you say Canada or do you say Canada? I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced, <laughs> honestly, because I, I, he, he sings it can, Canada, right? So Does I always he? thought it was that. I don't, yeah, I don't I even recall like him saying yeah. the word in the song. That's. I think it's yeah. right. I think it's in a chorus, uh, but okay. I may also be mispronouncing it entirely, which is, okay. you know, certainly is I, I've done from time to time. But yeah. Um, so, you know, like early B-sides would be a cool uh, uh, addition. Um, Lonely in Your Nightmare is a great song. I, mm-hmm. I love that one. I, I, anytime they want to play New Religion is is great with me. Yeah. Seventh, Seventh Stranger would be a good one. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of like deep cuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, American Science. Um, I could probably pick some deep cuts from every single album right up through yeah. Paper Gods and be really happy to hear them play. So you'd pick like one or, one or two songs per album and then that would be... That would album. be fun. Yeah. yeah, that would be kind of fun actually um, to show the scope of their, of their catalog basically. What's yeah. your favorite track ever? Probably New Religion. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What's, what, what's it about that song that you like so much? It's got, uh, it, it does a lot of different things. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it, it's, uh, it, it kind of brings in their, uh, sort of, um, soul and even hip hop influence without them doing anything embarrassing, like, a like trying trying to like do like a major rap of it. Yeah, well, actually, I kind of like their version for yeah. because I think it's kind of corny. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, but but I but I do like that. But by then, you know, they were sort of like much more open to pastiche, which I think of that song yeah. as that cover. But yeah. you know, they 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 kind of um, with New Religion, they brought in some some urban influences. I think without uh, without um, turning it into uh, cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so they're they've always been very good at at sort of. Um, not falling into uh, a terrible trap like that yeah. new religion I think is the best and it just really moves you know yeah. it's such a great it's such a great song I love that it's a it's a song about the the ego and the super ego right mm-hmm. um that's what the liner notes say uh right. <laughs> and I like I like that you know in concert it was like Andy you know Andy singing one part because he, he wanted to be lead singer so badly um <laughs> and so he got his chance on, on a couple of songs so what's your favorite b-side of all time 
Oh, uh, let's see. I would probably have to say Like an Angel. That's a good B-side. That's a really yeah. good B-side. Now, there's a yeah. couple of versions of it. Um, there's the one that's on the record, and then I've, I've heard a different version that kind of has a slightly different chorus. Do you like the standard uh, B-side uh, record version, or do you like the kind of more, I guess it was like a... a beta version or, or draft. I don't know what the music terminology of it is, but it was a slightly different version. I think an earlier version of it. I, I like the B side. I tend yeah. to kind of um, get lock in a little bit more to the ones that I'm, that I heard more the familiar most, with. was most familiar yeah. with. And that one, yeah. you know, I definitely had the, my own way. I think it was a B side of my own. Yeah, way. yeah. 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 I had the 12 inch of that. So I definitely played that version yeah. repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great B side. I think my favorite song is uh, last chance on the stairway. I just love, yeah. love that song. Cause I, there's a lyric in it. That's like my favorite Simon lyric of all time. Um, and it's, you know, wonder why, what makes me rise so high. Maybe it's something putting your, putting your perfume or they're looking your eyes. It's like, so like spot on about chemistry and you don't know why you don't know why there's some connection with this person, but it's, there's something there. And then B-side, I really love Faith in This Color. I think that's great too. And there, and again, really there are a couple versions song. of that. And yeah. I prefer the one that was on the single to the one that yeah. I heard yeah. later. Yeah, yeah that's a I fantastic. Like it. It's, you can really dance to it. And it's like, there's no, there's no singing. And it's just, everything is their arrangement. Um, all the instru inst instruments, it's like, you can sound, hear them equally. And yeah, it's kind of funky um, and spacey at the same time. And I really like it. So um, there's so many good B-sides, um, so, yeah. so many to name from th throughout, um, throughout their time. Um, so this is the big question, and I'm sure you already know your answer to this because you've probably thought about this a million times. <laughs> okay, so can you list your albums from favorite to least favorite? Uh, yes. Um, I'm going to have to open up their discography. You can do so the discography. And if you want to hear uh, my, you want to hear yeah, my. Let's, let's, let's do yours first, and then. We'll, Even though we'll, I told you this is about you, but of course I have to put myself. No, in no, I want to. I want to know though. This is a subject I'm really kind of just a little too much into. So, thirteen albums, right? We're not counting. Thank you, thank you would be number fourteen, right? Uh, I believe. Um, counting these, I think there's thirteen besides thank you. So, thank you was their cover album. So. I fluctuate week to week um, mm -hmm. on number one and number two. So this week, my favorite album is the first album, Duran Duran. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next week, it could be Rio. Number two is Rio. So that could be Duran Duran. Um, yep. So Duran, Duran, Rio, Seven and the Ragged Tigers, number three. So one, two, three. Then um, All You Need Is Now. Mm-hmm. I really like that album because it's Rio 2.0. Um, there's a lot of really good songs on there. Now, this is where I veer away from everybody else. Big thing. I love, love, love that album. There's, mm -hmm. I think, one, one or two songs on there I don't really care for, but the B-side is really, really good. Yep, then, I agree with um, that. Yeah, B-side is really, really good, really strong. Then I'd say... Astro, just because it's got Andy in there. And I miss the fuck out of Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the fuck out of Andy. Um, then I would say Paper Gods. Yep. Because it was different before Paper Gods came out. Then I would say mm -hmm. Notorious, because I love horns. I love anything with French horns. Trumpets especially are my favorite, favorite instrument. So I really like how they went in a different direction and got funky with that. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Then I would say, and a lot of people wouldn't agree with me, Midazzaland. I really like Midazzaland. It's underrated. It's got a lot of good tunes and they try to make something work without John Taylor. And, you know, I think they did as well as they could do. Then Red Carpet Massacre, um, because I actually liked it a lot when I first heard it. Then I didn't like it as much. And now I've listened to it again. And I'm like, you know, it's actually pretty fucking good in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, then the last four or the last three are the albums that I listen to the least. One, al- one album I don't listen to at all. I'm sorry, Duran Duran, if anybody from your management is listening. I'm really sorry. So Wedding Album, which I know people love uh, because they got back to a height of popularity that um, wasn't the same as in the 1980s, but and this was in what, 1991, 92? Um, 93. But, 93, yes. But um, they had some hits from there and I do like those hits and there's a couple of other songs I really like, but I don't listen to it that much outside of um, Come Undone and a couple of other songs. Then Liberty, mm-hmm. then yeah. Liberty because Sirius um, and Liberty are actually good songs. And then my least favorite Dreadran album outside of Thank You <laughs> is Pop Trash. Yeah. I don't think I listen to pop trash. I haven't listened to pop trash in probably 10, 15 years. And I have a friend who loves, loves, loves that album. And she's aghast that I don't like that album. I think that's one of her favorites, but um, everybody has their own opinion. Uh, you know, of course, yeah. I think they were struggling a bit at that time. Um, and I feel like you can hear it there. Um, some of the songs just really don't work. They're going in a really experimental direction that I don't think, um, I think it's, you know, it didn't work for everybody in the band. That's my opinion. But so now that I've gone through and then there's Thank You, which there's some good covers in there, but um, I don't really consider it necessarily a Duran Duran album with the the rest because it's not original. Right, right. I'm just making sure I have a full count here. I'm going to start. I'm going to say Rio is probably my favorite. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like you, it, it will switch from time to time between that and the first album. Uh, yeah. Both of them, I think, are like A and A1. Yeah. You know, like they're so, they're so great. Like uh, they were very confident when they. Very confident and very per- perfect. Like they were getting yeah. along very, very well. You can tell that they were getting along really well. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they're, they're, their strengths are already apparent on those yeah. albums. Um, yeah. I, I would say, especially, I think, uh, I think John and Nick. Yeah, uh, their their contributions relative to what the band does uh, were were very clear from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and have and on the albums that they've done together, with the exception of the couple there when John wasn't in the band, uh, it's been apparent like that throughout. They're certainly their most successful albums. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think um, just just uh, you know n- not to interrupt you uh, again, but um, Rio especially highlights so much of why John and Roger work so well together too. And John's bass lines, I mean, everybody talks about them. Like even people who don't like Duran Duran, when they hear the Rio, you know, bass line, the famous Rio bass line, they're like, "This guy is really fucking good." Uh, and yeah. what was he like 21, 20 or 21 at the time? 28, yeah. Yeah, Very when he young. recorded it and he had no no formal training and he switched from guitar to bass and, yeah. and it worked out for him. And he just was like fiddling around. And it's like this guy's just naturally he, he just gets the rhythm and gets the gets the sensibility. But anyway, yeah. Duran Duran Rio um flips back and forth for you. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh and then third would be notorious. 
Yes, um, I know that because I know you've talked yeah. about how much you love that album. Yeah, it's yeah. it's great. You know, they it's they cool. they manage to kind of uh, lean into the funk mm-hmm. uh, in a very satisfying way. You know, they had uh, they bringing Nile Rodgers in uh, was a was a huge yeah. uh, thing for them, um, and and it really worked. Uh, and then after that, I'll say Paper Gods. I think it's um, it's a it's a terrific uh, late era album. Mm-hmm. Or recent era, I should say, because I don't know what a late era album would be for a band that's still around. But yeah, um, uh, I just think that they, they're the song craft, the experimentation. It's a really good combination there. Yeah. And I like how uh, Simon's going back into some of his like kind of quirky off the wall lyrics and not mm-hmm. sort of writing in a very, you know, literal way. He's he's going back to like what he used to write in Rio where people are like, or cracks in the pavement or, you know, I take the dice or something right. from seven where you're like, what is like, you know, chopstick. My head is full of chopstick. What, what do you mean by that? So um, I like that about it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll go with all you need is now, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is just terrific uh, up and down. Um, it is, it is very much an homage to their early sound and having Mark Ronson uh, help out with that mm-hmm. a guy who, who was so clearly enamored of that period. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously uh, had a big impact on that sound, and and it really works. Um, Astronaut, I guess I would say next. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that's a it's a that as a reunion album, they they seem to be uh, really cohesive, uh, and um, and and all on the same page. Yeah, uh, I I do I do think uh, in my uh, recollection, it's the album is 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 at least partly. Uh, unclear to me only because of all those demos that, that yeah, were released, yeah, those yeah. fully formed demos and you Beautiful start colors thinking like, and well, stuff. Wouldn't, yeah. yeah, wouldn't this make a great introduction and, yeah. or, or great, a great inclusion on the, on the album? Uh, but as an album itself, independent of all that uh, crazy thought, uh, I think uh, is really great. Uh, yeah. And then I'll go with Se- Seven and the Ragged Tiger, which is an album I love, which, you know, was the, f- the first new one that came out after I was already a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh and uh and and there are things on there that i still really love and shadows on your side yeah that's a fantastic song yeah um you know but i think that that one uh like another album i'll mention further down the list i think that one is a little bit hampered by uh its opening track the reflex oh uh, god because it sounds really flat compared to the nile rogers mix the nile rogers mix was like yeah yeah and the one there that's just like so that that sort of makes it fall a little bit in my in my esteem. Uh, there are so many great songs on there, too, uh, but that one. Uh, and then uh, Red Carpet Massacre, which I mm-hmm. would have always firmly been on the side of uh, thinking it was a great experiment. I know that that was one album in their canon that I think has has resulted in the most uh, friction between the, <laughs> between yeah. fans. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of whom um, I think didn't like the fact that they uh went fairly urban mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. um but also like i also get like you lose a lot of what somebody like john taylor brings to the party yeah on that album yeah um uh and then uh pop trash is an album i actually do like uh, <laughs> yeah that's fair <laughs> that's fair because we've agreed so far except you didn't yeah. big thing is not up there and then no, pop trash no. is up there so that's fine i mean yeah beaten, different uh, um, strokes for different folks i'm not <laughs> gonna try to convince you you know uh, i saw them i saw them on that tour i think for the first time in maybe seven or eight years the pop trash tour 
Yeah, yeah. just like out of the blue, I didn't, you know, I was visiting my dad in Las Vegas and they were mm. playing at the Hard Rock. I was like, oh, well, I might as well go see Duran Duran. I haven't seen yeah. them in a long time. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Liberty would be next. Um, there are some good songs on there. Yeah. But this is the album where, uh, for me, I know a lot of people like what Warren brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And I've always appreciated that he helped keep the engine moving forward. Yes, yes. But I'm not a huge fan of some of his guitar sounds in Duran Duran. I was going to uh, ask you that question later on. You've, you've yeah. sort of answered it for me. The Andy oh, in fact, I, Warren thing. Yeah, well, we, we yeah. can definitely cover that. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I, you know, I think I missed uh, the, the self-titled one from the 90s. I would put that. The wedding album. Yeah. I would, you know, the wedding, I would put that between Red Carpet Massacre and Pop Trash. There's some things on there. There's stuff on there that I really like that Warren did. There's some like, uh, you know, his contribution to Ordinary World is is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but there are, that is that is one of the albums of theirs that uh, in many cases feels frozen in time. Mm. And, and the, the production and everything feels like, oh, yeah, this is definitely 1993. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's and, interesting. Know, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Uh, so then I would go to uh, my last two would be uh, Big Thing and then Medazzaland Last. Medazzaland's <laughs> Last. Oh, yeah. God. There, no, there, again, there are some good songs on that. that. Album. Yeah, lots of people <laughs> hate that album. It's okay. My Big Thing is the one that I was referring to mm-hmm. uh, when talking about Seven of the Ragged Tiger, where I think the, there are, first of all, I, I hate the title track is my least favorite Duran Duran song. Uh, yeah. It's a I hate bad. it. I, ha- I, don't just, I don't just dislike it. I hate it. You hate it? Like, okay. the, the lyrics are so... I don't say dumb, but they're, but they're like, they're not for me. I'll say that. You, you uh, dislike it more than drug. It's a state of mind. I dislike it more than drug. Well, this is the drug. Drug is on there. Yeah. Drug is on there. And, uh, and um, the other one is. All oh, she wants is. No, no, that, that was the, the first. Uh, uh, I don't want your love. Those you two. Hate that, you hate. I no, don't want your love. I hate the album version. Okay. Oh yeah. Com- okay. The single mix is so much more powerful yeah. than the album version yeah. uh and drug i mean even john has said that you know he th- that there was a mix that he preferred and they put yeah. it out on they put it out on that deluxe one the album the version that's on the album is really flat yeah. and the version of i don't want your love on the album is really flat to me yeah. too now yeah. the second side a big thing like you said it is it's great yeah. like every yeah. bit of that second side is great but those two songs that needed a different mix yeah and the, t- and the title track which uh it's just make like, you cringe. If if it comes on, like if I'm playing, if I'm in the car and I'm playing my Spotify Duran Duran yeah. playlist, yeah. I have to immediately skip it or turn it all the way down so nobody like hears and be like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, uh, it it's not. You're it's embarrassed. Not my, yeah, I yeah, I very rarely get embarrassed by my taste in music, but that's one where if, if I'm like nobody's around, are they? <laughs> like I absolutely <laughs> yeah. have to make sure because it's not it's not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for and and look for a band that uh, for a band that I love so much to and has done put out so many great albums and everything like that there's only a handful of songs that i think oh well that stinks you know that, yeah that yeah the top of that list yeah yeah i mean um there's songs i don't care for because i've heard them so many times like ordinary mm-hmm. world or 
you know, hungry, like the wolf, the reflex. I'm I've, I've never really been a fan of even when I was younger. And that was the number one hit in the U S I'm like, this is the one that gets number one out of all the songs. <laughs> uh, I was kind of like, come on, why can't it be, you know, shadows on your side or new moon on Monday even. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that that's, um, that people have different reactions and why is Medazzaland Medazzaland's at your bottom. Why is yep. at your bottom? Is it because John is not there? It's just so fractured. It could be. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't really. Um, I was into a lot of different at the time, mm. and, and what they were trying to do was not really for for me. Um, it uh, it feels like a. It's like uh, faith in this color is is a weird experiment that I think really worked, mm-hmm. and a lot of the and a lot for me a lot of the weird experiments on Medazzaland didn't work, mm-hmm. for, for for just for me. Like yeah. for my taste, I yeah. get why people love it. I get why people love anything. Um, but I don't but, think a lot of people love it. I think a lot of people have it. I mean, they probably have Liberty at the very bottom because most people don't like Liberty or Red Carpet Massacre, but Medazzaland is sort of on the bottom. It's sort of the forgotten Duran album. Like when people- It's polarizing, press, yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, there was Medazzaland in what, 1997. It was like right after Michael Hutchins died or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's why he wrote that song. But- yeah. Um, it's always interesting to hear what people say. I mean, I, I, you know, you can debate it, but it's like, I'm not going to convince somebody it's like they're, you know, as long as they're a fan, it's like, whatever, they like this album better. Totally. Totally. It's when, it's when somebody is like, says the stones are better than Beatles that I kind of want to. Yeah. 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 Ragey. A little I'm, ragey. I'm with, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm I, like, oh. I think also, yeah. yeah like yeah. Medazzaland, I was like in a different mind space anyway. Like I had like, I, I thought that the that the when they showed that they were still uh, important uh, and surprised everybody with Ordinary World and that album, uh, I was really on board. I saw them. That was the last time I had actually seen them before uh, before Pop Trash. But then after oh, that, wow. you know, they put out Thank You, and that was you know like I like a I like a quite a bit of Thank You. But, I do too. But that was sort of like the air was let out of the balloon a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then I was just like, I was like heavy into at the, around that time. I was heavy into Britpop and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and sort of like American indie. And, uh, and, and so that was taking up a lot of my, my attention. Uh, so I barely even registered that Medazzaland happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. thought that the, I thought that the single electric Barbarella was great, but then I listened to the album. I was like, Oh no, what's going on here? It just doesn't, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it sounded very, uh, uh, incohesive to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah, I think I've seen them on every tour, but I didn't see them on Notorious and I didn't see them on Big Thing or Liberty, Big Thing, Liberty or Notorious. Those are the tours that I didn't see them because I was in university and then I was poor and I didn't have money. Right. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't see them. Um, but let's go talk about covers. So we we're talking about thank you. Thank you album. Yep. It's not one of the 13 albums that we list in order of our preferences. And thank you was a very, 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 um, not even polarizing. I would say very much disliked by the fandom and by critics and by the public. It didn't do very well. And they're covering, they're covering bands from like The Doors and Led Zeppelin and Lou Reed and um, a bunch of other people, you know, um, uh, Public Enemy. It was very strange to me hearing that because I was expecting Roxy Music covers. I was expecting David Bowie covers. I was expecting mm-hmm. Chic covers. I was expecting the covers of the bands that 
they all, when they started, um, were really, really, really into like what really influenced the Duran sound. And then you hear public enemy on there. Like, this is very interesting. And then you hear Lou Reed. You're like, I've never thought that they were influenced by him or the doors or Led Zeppelin. It was just very different. Now that being said, um, you know, they've done that. They've covered David Bowie a few times. Five years was the most recent. Um, I know what my favorite covers are. What are your favorite covers? And do you think that Thank You album was a, I mean, we talked about a little bit, sort of a mistake. Do you think it was a mistake? You like some of it. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And then what's your favorite cover they've ever done? I I don't think they're... uh deciding to do a cover album was necessarily a mistake. I think maybe that one was a mistake or doing mm-hmm. it then was kind of a mistake because there was so much interest in the band again yeah. after, sort of a, after sort of a fallow period uh, in the early 90s. Uh, and, and sort of for them to go in that direction um, seemed uh, a little curious to me, given that they had done so many uh, great originals on their previous album now they did have a cover on that they did femme fatale the, yeah, the yeah. Of an underground song uh which they did well um but uh yeah i didn't i didn't think it was um necessarily a bad idea for them to do a covers album i it, the timing seemed weird or not weird mm-hmm. but the timing seemed off yeah they had all this uh, momentum and then they did yeah. covers and it blew the momentum yeah and that really did i mean it really yeah. like stopped them in their tracks you know um yeah. And, uh, but I, but there are things about it. I like, I remember, I remember going and buying that the day I bought it. I remember where it was and, uh, which is weird. Cause I don't remember, that's not the case with all of their albums, but, uh, um, you know, like I think, uh, I think white lines is a great cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other great covers on there. I know Lou Reed was especially, uh, effusive in his praise. Yeah. Perfect day. Yep. Um, and even the ones that you're like, what the hell are they doing? I, I kind of enjoy uh, 911 as a joke. It's it's ridiculous. And, yeah, it's kind of. And I think it's I think it's great. <laughs> you know, like I, I like to hear it. You know, I don't like I don't. I, I would rather uh, because they didn't they didn't choose uh, they chose a song that's that is sort of like a obviously a very serious subject. Mm-hmm. But because it's a Flavor Flav song, <laughs> yeah, uh, it comes with a certain level of of uh, humor and 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 goofiness mm-hmm. uh, that I think uh, played well into what they were doing with it. Um, you know, I know why people don't like it. <laughs> don't like the song. Don't like the album. Don't like the song. Well, both, both, yeah, uh, but yeah. certainly the song. But but um, you know, I think there's great stuff on there. You know, they covered Sly and the Family Stone. I think they did yeah. a nice job with that. And yeah. Iggy Pop. Um, you know, I, I I don't have that one on vinyl because they've never reissued it. And mm-hmm. I didn't I wasn't I was still buying CDs again at the time, so I, I never bought it on vinyl. But uh so I don't listen to it very often, although I do think it's on Spotify. It is, it is. Um yeah. there's a few things that aren't on Spotify, which is kind of irksome. Yeah, it's uh, very astronaut weird. isn't on there. Yeah, very weird. Um, but but uh no, I, I think it's a good album. It just it's it it just, uh, I wish they hadn't released it when they did. Yeah. 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 yeah the timing was wrong. I, I think the timing was wrong. And I think some of the song choices were wrong. I think they should have, yeah. I, I don't know if it was Warren's influence that made them go into this like Led Zeppelin doors direction. Um, I really would have liked to have heard like a Roxy music cover or sheet cover or something that like harkened back to their origins. Um, even though Warren was part of the band. So um yeah, I mean, there's there's certain songs I, li- I like. Um, I think uh, "Perfect Day" is good. Um, yep. 
White Lines is really great live, much more yeah. so than what you hear on the on the album. Um, I want to take you higher, obviously, and then um, uh, thank you. I actually think it's pretty good, um, but yeah. my favorite one on there is Crystal Ship. I think Simon sounds amazing. The musicality, everything just really, really works. It has a funky psychedelic uh, um, sound to it. It almost feels like The Doors, um, even though it's, it's not. Um, yeah. It's Simon yeah. and, and the rest of them. And then as far as uh, other covers, I really like Five Years. As far as Bowie covers go, yeah. Um, I was never a huge fan of the fame song as the fame song, even uh, as Bowie, but um, I really like five years and uh, you could tell they were super excited to, to perform that and record that. So I think that's great. It's a, it really is a terrific cover. Like, yeah. I, you know, they, they, they do Bowie very well. I really liked uh, fame. I was a fan of Bowie's fame. And I, mm -hmm. uh, I think there are times when I prefer Duran Duran's early version of it Yeah. as well. Cause they're like really young and hungry and, yeah, and uh, that kind of comes through in the grooves on that one, um, but uh, yeah, they've they've you know, and they had a relationship with Bowie shortly after that. I think they started the uh, Glass Spider tour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so you know, I think that they have done uh, a great deal to honor his legacy in their covers of his songs. They they played uh, Bowie. Law. I can't now. I can't remember what it was. Space um, Oddity or something like that. Yeah, played, yeah. When I saw them at Outside Lands uh, in San Francisco. Uh, a few years ago, they, they, mm -hmm. they had a, like a little Bowie set. Yeah. And, uh, must've been 2016, like the year yeah. he died. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, it was, you know, they, they, they have done a, a terrific job with his stuff and I always like to hear them cover it. So I was, I was very pleased to know that they were going to cover five years, which is such a cool song anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then their version of it is great. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, now talking about the band members. Sure. Um, so, you know, you're a teenage boy in New York, dorky. Mm -hmm. You want to be like these guys. Did you ever dream that you would meet them? And when did you first meet them? And what was that like for you? Well, I certainly always wanted to meet them. But did you ever <laughs> think you would? Did you ever think I, you were going to meet them? It never crossed my mind. Yeah. Uh, it, well, I mean, meeting the rock stars anyway didn't cross my mind until I was about 15. Um, uh, growing up uh, in upstate New York, not far from Woodstock meant that a lot of like, you know, a lot of yeah. rock musicians and that music industry had second homes up there. There were also recording studios up there. So Simple Minds who were like, you know, they had the number one song in the country with Don't You Forget About Me. Mm -hmm. They started recording Once Upon a Time in Woodstock. So we like ran into them all over the place, which was yeah. sort of crazy. And so then it starts to feel like, well, maybe I could meet people, you know, even yeah. though I'm like, even though I'm only running into these guys because I happen to be in a record store that they're like shopping in. But yeah. they were, they were, those guys were really nice, by the way, to a bunch of like dorky teenagers who were like, hmm. yeah, doing uh, but um, but no, it didn't it didn't really occur to me. I, I always wanted to meet Duran Duran. I didn't know what I would ever say to Duran Duran when I met mm. them. Um, and I always, of course, tried to emulate my style in my own sort of low rent way uh, after Duran Duran, too. Did you bleach your hair and stuff like that to try to like, wear my a fedora and everything? I did not. I did not have a fedora. As I as I mentioned uh, at that first concert, I wore the leather leather trousers and the white Capizio jazz shoes. Uh, by the time I was uh, fifteen, I think I dyed a huge shock of the hair in the front blonde, not dyed, yeah. but bleached. Yeah, uh, with bleach with actual Clorox, right? With actual, yeah, and yeah. I you know wrapped it with foil and everything yeah. like that. Oh, you know, God. and it and it looked it looked ridiculous, but I loved it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I think probably my the 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 I I play the drums. I couldn't really figure out my style was not akin to Rogers. So yeah. I always so I always listened to what John was doing anyway mm-hmm. and tried to figure out what I would do if I was playing drums with them. And it would be mm-hmm. a mess on an actual Duran Duran song, but it was fun to think in those terms. But no, I didn't meet them until they did the record signing at the Virgin Megastore for mm-hmm. Astronaut. Mm-hmm. And so I got to say hi to each of them. Um, and I've met them a bunch since then. Yeah. And was that when you met them, were you kind of starstruck or were you sort of like, yeah, I'm an adult now and it's cool. Like, Hey, what's up? You know, were you well, sort I of had, like, yeah. yeah, I had, uh, the line was so long that I had time. Yeah. It was really down long. By the time I got to the yeah. front. Uh, and in fact, I, uh, I, uh, had a digital voice recorder and I, and as they're signing the CD, I wish I had bought the vinyl because I would still have that, but, yeah. it, but, uh, as, as they were each signing it, I asked them to say hi to my son, Ian, yeah, who was at the time, uh, two years old. Yeah. Uh, and they all said very sweet stuff. Simon sang a little song. Um, so that kind of like that to me having something like a little shtick, yeah. uh, that was not like overly intrusive, uh, was sort of a way to break the ice a little bit and made me feel less nervous about meeting, you know, a yeah. band who, who, who for years and years and years were my heroes and, you know, kind yeah. of broke me out of, uh, sort of, um, in many ways, a sort of a suburban malaise. Uh, so I, I owed them a great debt and, uh, and, and, and paid it by sticking a recorder in their face and asking them to say hi to my kid. <laughs> and they love that. They love they having, did. they, they love helping the children out. They all have kids, right? Um, yes. and yeah, all of them have kids and they love when kids come to shows, they're totally mm-hmm. receptive to that. And they're much more receptive to male fans than they are to female fans because yeah. they think we're going to jump their bones or attack them, which, uh, some people do. I mean, for me growing up, it was, it was like, Oh, I want to meet them because I want to marry Roger Taylor. But um, yeah, that that quickly went away because he got married, and then I grew up and grew out of that, <laughs> unlike a lot of Durannies out there. But I remember staying up all night for that record signing, and yep. the girls who were sa- were supposed to save my spot when I went to work, and I came back, and these mean girls were like, "Oh, the back of the line's that way," and I was like, "I stayed up all night with you guys. I even went on." coca-cola runs and stuff and they just didn't want me there so i started walking on the corner and this other girl that they had pushed out had come much earlier and she stopped me and she said hey what are you doing and i said i have to go to the back line she said oh did they push you back there too and i was like yeah she's like come stand with me so i got in and the girls turned around were looking at me like how much you get in and then you know of course i get through the line and andy's the first person i'm like i don't know what to say to you and he's just (laughs) behind glasses laughing and then Nick, you know, signed it. And then Roger was my favorite growing up. And I was just like, oh, hi, Roger. And then when I got to John, it was just, I don't know. I I don't know. I felt this, like, I felt like this is the one, this is the one I would be most likely to be friends with. And I was like, hey, he's signing my thing. He's like, what's your name? And I was like, actually, do you know what my last name is? And he looks at me and he's like, no, I don't. And then I told him, he's like, get out. Here, see the ID, and I showed them an ID, and he's like, "So you were meant to be a fan?" I was like, "Yeah." So you were born to be a fan? I said, "Yeah, I guess." And whole time Simon was tapping his pen, like, "Move it along," you know. I still remember that. Um, And and yeah, it was it was kind of like I walked out, and I was just like, "Wow, I actually handled that much cooler than I thought I would." Um, Yeah, because you know, being a journalist you know, I've met a lot of celebrities before that I'd met a ton of celebrities. I'd interviewed some celebrities. So, you know, there is, 
you get over it and you do the interview, but when it's your, like you say, your childhood idols, there's like a different thing there. But as yeah. soon as like Andy just looked at me and, and did his laugh, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's Andy Taylor. I don't know what to say to you, but sure. Okay, like <laughs> Andy Taylor, you know, I didn't know what to say now. I wish I, I had known what to say. Um, so, and since then, yeah, obviously you and I have both met them numerous times. Um, yep. And you've interviewed them. I've interviewed them. I think you've interviewed them more times than I have. Um, uh, it's been John that you've interviewed the most, correct? He's actually the only one I've interviewed. I've interviewed okay. him twice. Twice. So you may yeah. have you may have spoken to them more often than I have in a professional capacity. I, yeah, yeah, I've interviewed John twice. He's the only one. He's I've the spoken only. to all of them, but he's the only one I've interviewed. He's the only one. Um, is there one that you really want to talk to? The we really want to like interview. Uh, I mean, I would like to talk to all of them uh, yeah. in, a, in a professional capacity. I'm sure there's a lot, you know, I could probably put together a great story or a book or something like that if I had the chance to chat with each of them. Um, yeah. But John is John uh, is certainly uh, my my favorite because um, he's so into music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. you know, like when I interviewed him a few months ago, uh, we, um, you know, we, it was very, it was very easy because, uh, first of all, I, it was clear that I understood who they were and yeah. what they represented. So I was able to speak from a position of not authority, but of, of understanding. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but then we also talked about new music that he was into and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so that, that to me is easy. He's got a good sense of humor and everything when I've spoken yeah. to him, which is nice yeah. too. Uh, he made me feel very comfortable. Uh, yeah. um, and, and, you know, like they're, I'm ever, but whenever I've met them all, they've all been incredibly nice, uh, you know, and, 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 and seem genuinely interested in, in, in speaking to, well, me, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm very fortunate in that, but yeah, I've, I've just interviewed John twice and, and both yeah. times I would love to chat with any of them for, yeah. if, if, there, were, if yeah. there was somebody who was willing to publish a, a story and everything like that, I would, I would totally do it. Be like, yeah, sure. Let me, let me write. You got to find a, another angle, I guess, to, to get there. Like <laughs> when I interviewed Nick for wine spectator. It was like, I yeah, remember of course, that. it yeah. was wine. It was wine. And they told me it was Nick and it actually turned out to be Simon was the bigger wine, um, wine spectator, wine. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And then I remember at the concert right after the issue, right after I interviewed him, right after the issue came out, Simon introduced Nick as, and then our resident wine spectator. And I was like, Brent. <laughs> front and center really sick. And I was like, Oh God, it was supposed to be Simon. Um, but somebody told me, no, it was Nick, Nick, Nick. But actually, you know, even he, when he was interviewing me, he's like, Oh, Simon's this and Simon has this and Simon has that. And I was like, Oh, my chance to interview Simon Laban, uh, you know, <laughs> was gone, was gone. Yeah. Was John your favorite growing up? Was he the one that you wanted to emulate the most because he had the most, I mean, it was always the debate whether he or Simon had the most chicks, right? Um, but I think <laughs> I think John eked eked it out just a little bit um, because of his chiseled jaw. Um, yeah, he was quite. He was. I mean, he's still beautiful, but he was quite beautiful. Um, was he the one that you were like, "This is the guy. This is the guy I want to emulate." He's getting all the chicks. So this is the guy I want to be. I think it was probably more Simon because I Simon, admired yeah. how I admired how um, confident he was. He he had a great right. deal of confidence. Uh, he was a great, uh, very charismatic front man. Mm. Um, and I like that, especially as a drummer, because I couldn't, I still can't sing. Uh, I've tried to play guitar and everything, and I was no good at it. Drums were the only thing that ever came naturally to me, and mm. so I stuck with those. Um, but, uh, you know, as a drummer, I always wanted to be a... <laughs> To be to have the confidence, yeah, and, and, yeah. Yes. and so and so I I found that uh, 
I found that very appealing uh, in Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think I probably wanted to dress like all of them. I think I was I was probably too afraid to to go um, uh, to go full Nick Rhodes. Yes, yes. Um, uh, because even just like you know, having my ear pierced and having my hair stand straight up and everything like that, that was like rough enough in my high school yeah, yeah. <laughs> without, without, uh, without Wearing makeup. adding, adding yeah. makeup. Although I did yeah. do that sometimes, but, uh, eyeliner, guy liner. Did you do the guy? I liner? did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. and that was fun. That could be fun. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it was probably Simon and with a little bit of John, when I did the blonde in the front, it was, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do John. But I, I didn't have like the super long hair like you did when he, yeah, like yeah. I, my hair was always more in the Simon LeBond. More in the Simon LeBond short side. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. So the band has been involved in a lot of different things outside of the band. Now, Nick has his like photography books. John mm-hmm. acted for a while and he does his base tutorials and Simon Howe has a podcast even though he acted when he was very, very young and Roger does his DJing. Um, is, do you buy their stuff, their side project stuff? Do you listen to the podcast? Did you buy Nick's book? Did you ever see Roger DJ? I mean, are there, is there anything on any of those side projects that you're really interested in? Or you're sort of like, eh, I'm just interested in them as Duran Duran. I think the podcast is, is great. Uh, I like seeing Simon open up the way he does. And I think mm-hmm. Caddy does a great job uh, of uh, working with him on that. Uh, the two of them together is is a lot of fun. Um, I would and he say picks that, a lot uh, of really good music. Um, he really does. Yeah, like, he like, really... like John, he is very connected yeah. to uh, contemporary music, which um, yeah. is is which is also why it's always fun to know that they're recording new music because mm-hmm. they can kind of tap into some of those uh, more modern influences as well. Yeah, they are they are music fans in, in addition to being musicians, which is why I still love them. Getting back to the first question, yeah, um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested in it all. Uh, I never did get Nick's first book in the '80s, the Polaroids, mm-hmm. um, probably because it was more money than I could have spent. Yeah, on. And yeah. I probably said, "Well, there's these five records I want to get instead," uh, which which is where my mind was in the '80s. That, and I got to get another pair of Capizio jazz shoes, probably. Oh, cool. <laughs> but uh, but Capizio, um, if you're around, there's a plug yeah, for you right here. There you go. Yeah. yeah, free ad. Um, no, I I uh, I. Uh, I would like to hear Roger DJ. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I probably would have to go to a fancy party for that. No well, if you go to the Ibiza shows that they're supposed to have, which I'm sure will be postponed again, um, you know, Roger is going to do a DJ, so I, I think on the Friday of the three day stint. Yeah. So there's your chance, you know, fly to I, I would love to. I probably Ibiza, sorry, not Ibiza. Ibiza. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I should know. Um, I work with Spaniards who are like, Ibiza. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it would be cool to see him to see him DJ yeah. to hear what he does. And, and, um, you know, I did watch John's bass tutorials, uh, oh, so good. uh, because it was because not because I could ever play the bass, but yeah. because, because it was him and he was talking through a lot of the stuff and it was really yeah. interesting. And then I rewatched them all after I interviewed him as I was sort of putting the story together. Um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to, to remember what was in them and everything. And they're very entertaining, you know, yeah. I, uh, yeah. you know, with, um, with the, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, uh, so to speak, uh, as far as the pandemic goes, um, I guess he probably won't be doing too many more of those, but I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed that he wanted to kind of, um, give something to the fans to enjoy when they couldn't be on the road, which I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been very, very into the fans like Nick, um, 
very much uh, receptive to them, even though mm-hmm. people can can be a little crazy. Um, and talking about side projects, let's go back to the original side projects that they sure. had, Arcadia and Power Station. Okay, the first question is Arcadia or Power Station? You had <laughs> to choose, and then we can talk about each of them a little bit. I choose Arcadia. Really? Okay. Yep. Is it because it's like the best like little goth, this goth album that came out that a lot of people didn't hear? Um, what is it? Because it's more experimental and Power Station was much more like straight rock. I think it's uh, it's it's the right uh, um, level of moody and and uh, uh, without giving too much into the lyrics of the moody and gray and mean restless. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I, I, yeah. I, it's very uh, it's a very satisfying album. Um, it certainly feels between the two. It feels more like it could be a Duran Duran album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also did like the Power Station. Of course, Arcadia never toured, but I did see Power Station. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I like that album. Uh, I It just doesn't, even then, I always, I preferred Arcadia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Power Station uh, seemed like, in many ways, sort of like a vanity project. Mm-hmm. And, and Arcadia seemed like uh, they were going first their own version of high art. And I think they hit it. Like I really enjoyed it. Now again, Power Station album is great. That first one. Uh, I remember almost nothing about the second one, but but the first one is, is, is terrific. Uh, It, it just, uh, it doesn't uh, hit me the way the Arcadia album does. Yeah. It doesn't resonate with you. Uh, Do you have a favorite track on the Arcadia album? Uh, Probably Goodbye is Forever. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that one I, I think is one that I, is just, uh, it really stands out for me, but the whole yeah. thing is great. Yeah. The whole thing is really, really good. They're, like every song is really, really good mm-hmm. for me. It's, a uh, uh, keeping you in the dark, keeping, yep. in, keeping you in the dark, keep me in the dark. Keep, me in, keep me in the dark. I love, I love, love, love everything about that song, the yep. lyrics, everything. I love it. Um, and I, I listened to that a lot. Um, recently I was listening to it a lot, like over and over again. I'm like, okay, now I have to take a break and do the power station for a while and give them equal play. <laughs> but I do, I mean, I would pick Arcadia over power station too, even though I really like that power station album, because I really like that, you know, Andy and John can really fucking rock out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sort of like, Oh, let's get Robert Palmer in here. And, um, was it Bernard Edwards, right? Um, and yeah, it was, it was almost, it almost felt like, okay, they're leaving. They don't want to do Duran Duran anymore. Um, right. Where, like you said, Arcadia felt like a Duran Duran album. Felt like it was like, you know, we're still going to be Duran Duran. Um, I, I will say that I think that Andy's finest ever guitar solo is on the Power Station album, On Lonely Tonight. Mm-hmm. That one really like, as soon as that solo comes in, it's like, oh, like you really get like the yeah. feeling of despair. Yeah. And it and it's beautiful. And often, not often, but sometimes his solos uh, feel a little sandwiched in, like he wants to kind of like show you what he's capable of. Yeah. Uh, and um, not a knock on Andy necessarily, but he was going in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, and 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 sometimes it didn't gel as well as other times. But in this case, that 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 solo is like is like heartbreaking. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And that gets me to the question, which we sort of touched upon earlier, Andy or Warren? I mean, you know, I, as I said, I like, 
I mean, I neither like, are in the band anymore. So it's a yeah, yeah, point, yeah. right? Um, but <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this. I'm really excited that they're working with Graham Coxon from Blur on the mm-hmm, new album. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know. That's I thought about you. I thought about you as soon as I found out. I was like, Two I know of my one favorite band bands. Who's, who's like totally jumping for joy. It's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh my God. Oh my God. Totally. Um, totally. But yeah, uh, but yeah. no, I, I would, I'll say Andy, just because, you know, he was the original and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's on those first few albums that I love so dearly. Uh, I, I will always, uh, love and respect Warren for, for kind of really keeping, keeping the band moving forward at a time mm-hmm. when, you know, they might've atrophied. Yeah. Um, I didn't always like the results, but I appreciated that they were still going forward, but also like, you know, Warren has given me one of my least favorite uh moments as a duran duran oh, fan God, was at the, at that otherwise great uh pop trash performance in las vegas when mm-hmm. he was all yeah. shirtless and oiled up yeah. and there was an inflatable fuck doll on stage and he started humping and i was like this is yeah. not this doesn't feel like duran duran yeah. to me. Like, this just feels it's so uh coarse and vulgar and very much like bands that i didn't like when i was mm-hmm. a kid mm-hmm. Uh, so that to me was sort of the, 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 the bottom <laughs> of my, I can't believe this is a Duran Duran moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was <laughs> certainly beginning. below nine one one is a joke. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, below, yeah that, was it below big thing too? Uh, it <laughs> was just, it was thing. just above the title track. <laughs> yes. <of> big thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if they had been playing that while he did that, I would have had to like leave immediately. You would have been like, you lost me as a fan forever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. Uh, sorry. My cat's going a little crazy. <laughs> she's very quiet, but for some reason she's hyped. She up, will right? not, will not, she does not want to hear any more of this Warren bashing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. For me, I think, I think what you said, it, I think that was the beginning of the end for Warren because I remember John being like, uh, you know, somebody asking him in some interview, that narwhal guy in Canada going like, uh-huh, uh-huh. what about, you know, the dildo that Warren sells or whatever and and da 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 and John being like, Warren's not in the band anymore and there's a reason why and like, next question, get this guy out of here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I distinctly remember that something to do with that. Um, yeah, and I think that was the beginning and the end. But yeah, I always, um, I've met Warren and he's been very, very generous and very kind to me. I've met him once and um, he was really, really lovely. Uh, but, you know, before I met him, I was always turned off by the lack of the shirt and things like that. And I was just <laughs> yeah. like, this is not really Duran Duran. Like, you know, they, they're, they're, they're good looking, but they're not like sexy. You know what I mean? They're like foppish kind of guys, you know, good looking foppish kind of guys. Like, as I said, from the beginning, visual, the, the way they look is really important part of what Duran Duran mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. like it or not. And that is not to, to pull away from the music, which is obviously the most important thing. But uh, but seeing the way that they presented themselves and having this guy who was not terribly sophisticated in his the way he presented himself and, mm-hmm. you know, and and being like hyper muscly and, and going at it with a love doll. It was just it was it, it was just it like, was not, sort of like yeah. that moment sort of represented the things that I the reason that I, that I wasn't really following them anyway, because they yeah. were going, they were definitely going in a different direction from where yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. So I'm much more Andy than Warren. I wish Andy was still in the band, but he's never coming back. So it is what it is. It's a four piece with Don Brown adding his um, talents in there and, you know, guest guitarist, which I think is really, really great having guests on there to do that. So the big question, mm-hmm. the whole purpose of this 
episode was what's the case for them to get the goddamn fucking rock and roll fucking hall of fame when you've got uh like this year's nominees i mean some of the people i was like tina turner's not in there but you're gonna push these people or this band in there and then you know when you find out you know carol king or somebody like that is not in there but xyz is in there xyz is being nominated now obviously it's political we know this you're in the music industry i'm a journalist we know the way things work but what's the case for them to be in the hall of fame do you think they deserve to be in the hall of fame already or do you think they should you know do you think they have to wait a while or um obviously we both agree that they deserve to be in the hall of fame at some point but absolutely do you think, do you think they should have already been in there. Um, or do you Yes, think- uh, an emphatic yeah. yes. I, I yes. don't think that they're, the fact that they've never been nominated is appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I it it's not my Hall of Fame. Nobody has ever asked it's me not, to vote. In it it is your Hall of Fame, damn it. <laughs> it isn't. I've never even, yeah. I've never paid, I mean, because, you know, I'm, I'm not in Cleveland, so I'm never, yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to go Who through is? the door unless, unless there's a reason for me to be there, uh, which I, which I can't picture right now, but but um, no, I think that they should be in there. Uh, I also like like I I wish that they had gotten in ahead of certain bands. Mm-hmm. There are artists on this list this year that I think are also really really deserving. Like I'm really excited that Phil Akuti is is getting a nomination. I would mm-hmm. love to see him get in because his music is really important to me. Uh, Tina Turner, I was shocked that she wasn't already in. I know she is with with Ike and Tina Turner, but I but yeah. not as a solo artist, which again is like. It makes more sense for her to be in the solo artist than with absolutely, her. absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Carol King is in as a songwriter, but not yeah. a performer. Yeah. Uh, but all, but like a lot of these things at, with all of these lists, I'm like, huh, they're not already in, and uh, does that mean? And I have my handful of artists that I would love to see get in there, but it's like, does if it matters to Duran Duran, then it matters to me. If it doesn't matter to them, then I'm okay with it. Like you know what I mean? Like if if they're like if it's eating at them. And they feel yeah. like they should be in it, then they should. I don't see any real reason for them to not be in it. They they have been originals for decades now. Um, they certainly changed music and uh, and did so um, with a very strong visual component that we are still feeling today. Mm-hmm. Um, they played on all their own albums. They wrote their own songs. Uh, the same is not true of a lot of other artists that are in there. I don't want to pull anybody out. I think it can expand it. And it's it, for me, I think it's just shocking and embarrassing that they haven't even been nominated. It's it's yeah. I find it puz- I find it really puzzling. But, you know, again, I think you're right. I think it's political. Their catalog speaks for itself. The fact that they still have longevity, the fact that they sell out concerts, that they do festivals, that they're experimental, that they still have videos, that people still they have name recognition. Everybody knows them. People still go to their shows. People still buy their albums. They're not number one. They're not Taylor Swift level. But um, at the time back then, they were Taylor Swift level. And, you know, if Instagram and all these other things were were there, then they would have been even bigger. Um, and the longevity, you know, and their popularity wouldn't have waned when the girls, you know, grew out of them and tore off their tore their posters off their walls and threw them in the garbage rather than uh, continuing on after um, after uh, they fractured after Live Aid and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a travesty. I mean, you think some of their contemporaries, like the Cure, is in there, right? Um, yep. Are the Smiths in there? No. No. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of contemporaries that that are in there and a lot of a lot of bands that aren't creating 
as much music as them who are their contemporaries in there. So yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things that the fans always talk about, like, when are they going to get in there? When are they going in there? And I don't know what needs to be done. Um, they really, really, really should be in there. And I guess they don't care. It doesn't really matter. Maybe they do care. And they're just like, whatever, when it happens, it happens. That's a nice way of looking at it. Um, I think they're appreciative of, of whenever they get accolades, especially sure. critics and professionals really like their stuff. They're, they're really happy about that because, you know, they know the fans are going to love it, but um, critics are just so hard on them and, and always have been. Yeah, so less, so, less so today, but, but it still certainly happens. And I think ultimately it goes back to the fact that they were in uh, magazines like 16 and, and yeah. like that, and yeah. they were really, they were really good looking and they, and they weren't afraid to kind of um, uh, lean into that a little bit. Do you think it was them or do you think it was the, the, their um, publicists and the team behind them saying, oh, well, you have all these fans and let's like put you, you know, let's market you as a, a teeny bopper group, uh, like a boy band, like a sync or a One Direction rather than as legitimate artists with talent. I, I don't know. I, I'm who not, know how I to work their instruments. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I wasn't privy to any of that. I didn't, and I, I have never asked that question in the two interviews I had with John. But, but it could be a combination of the two. You know, when you're young and and uh, you see uh, people losing their minds over your heroes like David Bowie, and suddenly it's happening to you. It could probably very be very tempting to, to, uh, to, not only allow it to happen, but to become an active participant in it. Yeah. Uh, so you, who could fault them? You know, but at the same time, they were still making really great music. And, and you know, unfortunately, they, they, it was easy for critics uh, to dismiss them because they were great looking and they yeah. were, um, you know, too pretty for them. Slightly yeah. androgynous. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, that probably was a big was a big factor. But, you know, like I can't I can't figure it out. Uh, so what do you think the next album will be like? What do you think the sound will be like with? you know, all these new people collaborating with them. I only know, you know, they're working with really exciting people like Giorgio mm-hmm. Moroder and yeah, of course, Graham Cox, who I think is a, is a genius. And I spoke to, when I talked to John and we talked a little bit about, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, but I didn't, I didn't ask what'll it sound like. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm really curious, like any fan, I'm like super curious. I can't wait, you know, and, and for me, especially as such a huge fan of Plur and a huge fan of Graham Cox and as a guitarist, I can't wait to hear what they've, uh, come up with together. John seemed very excited about, you know, the energy yeah. that's in the room working with Graham. Yeah. So that's that. That to me sounds like it's going to be a, 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 a lot of fun. And I think it's supposed to come out this year, but I'm not sure. This year, when is it? <laughs> Please give us an album. Yeah, I mean, if they keep pushing these dates back, they're probably going to push the release back. Uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe because they, I mean, you know, they can't do any press for it unless it's Zoom calls all the time um, with everybody. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Talk to me about your books, rock and roll, um, rock and roll explore, explore to New York city or New York city. No, it's rock and roll explore to New York city, right? Rock and roll explore guide to New York city. Guide to New York. The first city. one. Yep. That was the first one. And now it's yep. rock and roll explorers guide to San Francisco, San Francisco and the Bay area. Yeah. Is that the one that's coming out? That's the one that's coming out. Okay. It's going to be out um, in two months, less than two months, okay. May 14th. The first book, the New York book, is it's sort of like a travel guide to rock and roll history in the five boroughs. Um, and there are chapters devoted to specific artists like Talking Heads and Blondie and 
Velvet Underground and Patti Smith and Bob Dylan. And, and then there are uh, a borough by borough breakdown. Of other even Staten Island, even Staten even, Island. We even have Staten Island, all five. So you went all the way to Staten Island. You actually took the ferry. That is your- that is the shortest chapter. But, <laughs> no, uh, of course. But, um, well, I, I did. I actually don't think I ever went to Staten Island in, the, in doing the research. Mike did because he took okay. pictures uh, in that book. But uh, no, all my research was done. I spent a lot of time in the um, in the microfilm room at uh, the New York Public Library, mm-hmm. going over old phone books and newspapers and things like that, hours upon hours, which is pretty, yeah. which is pretty fun. But the book is uh, the book is it really is like a travel guide. You know, there's a lot of pictures and a lot of um, ephemera. <laughs> Uh, we have a great foreword by my old friend, Legs McNeil, who, of yep. course, uh, is the co-author of Please Kill Me, kind of yep. the definitive book about punk. Um, and uh, so we had a great time doing that first book. That one came out in June 2018. Uh, and so we immediately signed to do the new book um, and uh, started working on that. This one was actually supposed to come out last June, but of course, when the pandemic hit, everything kind of got pushed, put on hold and pushed a little bit, and it gave us a chance to uh, do some tweaking to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a foreword by Joel Guion of the Brian Jones House Massacre, who is, uh, they're one of my favorite bands, and he's such a great guy and writes a very uh, entertaining foreword. And again, we have chapters like uh, everybody from the Grateful Dead to Green Day to Metallica, and and it's available anywhere. Like I certainly would love to have just have people support independent bookstores and get them yeah. that way. Uh, yeah. And I know that the that the National Book Network, Book Network, who kind of shops our publisher around, uh, does a great job of getting the book into stores. And I think that's certainly yeah. going to be the case around here, but elsewhere too. Barnes and Noble will definitely be carrying it. They yeah. did a they did a lot with the New York book. Find it at your local bookstore that sells rock and roll books, buy it. It's probably front and center. Crispin's probably gone to every store <laughs> and moved to stuff to the front because that's what I did with my book, um, at least in the local stores. And then Rock and Roll Explorer's Guide to San Francisco will be out Mar- uh, March, May, May 14th. 14th, 14th. Yep. And this episode will be out in April. So you've got a about a month to wait, but- do the pre-orders if you want on the behemoth. Otherwise, go get it at your local bookstore. Help a brother out. Help a good guy out. Uh, he knows a lot about music. Um, and we have a we have a launch uh, planned that uh, is going to be a virtual launch. So anybody around the world can tune into it. And then you. Can and when is that going to be? That's going to be uh, Thursday, <clears throat> May twenty seventh. Thursday, May twenty uh, seventh. Everybody, yep, nope. I think it's been a great conversation, and I'm Absolutely. sorry. That- I'm sorry I interjected more of myself in there. Normally I let the people see. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you did. It's a, it's a conversation. Yeah. Uh, good luck to you. Let me know uh, anything you, else. Man. Yeah. I would love to have another conversation at another time, but thank you so much. Definitely. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Ciao. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Now You're Talking With D is hosted, produced, and edited by me, D, with music by Scott Benzlowitz. I'm trying to get a message to you The easiest thing just comes to me And it comes to you This has been a Best Revenge production.